Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And just for the sake of the archive, uh, today is January 20th, 2021, and it is the beginning of a new era as uh, the new administration of the United States presidency has been sworn in. And uh, we shall see where that leads us. Uh, In any case, we know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what we celebrate as we study these psalms. So this evening, we are up to Psalm 101, and God willing, we'll cover both Psalms 101 and 102 uh, this evening. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Father, uh, ever so grateful that despite all of the chaos and confusion and deception uh, that is in the world around us, Uh, We have Jesus Christ as our solid rock, and we have your word as our light and our guide. Father, we thank you so much for enlightening our path, and that we can look forward, Father, to the uh, inauguration of Jesus Christ as the true king of the whole earth, when the whole earth looks to him seated in Jerusalem as their true king, the, the, the Holy One of Israel. We thank you, Lord God Almighty. And we ask your blessing now in our study as we uh, go through the Psalms line by line, that you would give us wisdom and understanding and deepen our faith. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, brethren, as I mentioned, we are up to uh, Psalm 101. And what I'd like to do just before we get into the Psalm is um, just go back, just for context's sake, Uh, Let's go back to the end of the book three uh, and how that, or sorry, book four, how that, book three, how that ended uh, before we got into uh, book four. So let's just go back just to remind ourselves of the the state of mind of the community at the end of book three, because now in book four, we have been celebrating the enthronement psalms and the enthronement of, of Earth's rightful ruler. Uh, Jesus Christ. But let's just remember here in Psalm 89 and um, verse 35, we'll just pick up a couple of the uh, verses again, just to remind ourselves of how the previous book ended. Uh, Verse 35 of Psalm 89, uh, God says, once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. This is solid. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. That's the oath. That's the Davidic covenant. It shall be established forever as the moon and as faithful as, and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. So let's ponder this. This is established. This is the Davidic covenant. Now, immediately after reciting the Davidic covenant, the psalmist has an accusation to God. So so this is the covenant. We we are confused. We don't know what to make of this because there is a a solid forever covenant with David. And yet look at our situation. So we we are of the the, the Jewish community. We are of the covenant community. David is our king. And, and, And now look, but you have cast off and abhorred. You have been angry with your anointed. You, have, you, God, have made void the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. 
This is an utter state of bewilderment and confusion. David's throne was supposed to last forever, and yet it's been interrupted. And God himself has orchestrated this loss. What's going on here? Again, we know from a careful reading of the covenant, God would never break his word. And so everything that has happened to Judah has happened according to the covenant. You cannot take the covenant for granted and, you know, we're, we're the Jews, we're special, we can do whatever we want and God just has to tolerate it. And, and we, we, we have this uh, attitude in the church as well. Oh, we're the special people of God. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, once saved, always saved. We can do whatever we want and God just has to tolerate us because he needs us. Well, no, God is faithful to his word. And, and when we read the letters to the seven churches, he warns them, particularly the last one, I will spit you out of my mouth. That doesn't break the covenant. That, that's part of the covenant. That, that's the if-then clause of the covenant. So, so they didn't quite understand the covenant. There are multiple covenants in play here. There's the Abrahamic covenant that's still in play. There's the uh, Mosaic Covenant, which is still in play. And now there's this Davidic Covenant, which is still in play. And all of them are in play. And God will not break any one of them. So there's just a lack of understanding of what's going on here. Because God is being faithful to his word. But the experience and the interpretation of Judah is that God has, God has cast, the, cast David's crown to the ground. And he's made the covenant void. You have broken down all his hedges, so hedges are what are going to protect the community. You've, you've broken them down so the beast of the field can come in and devour. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. And in fact, if you read um, Ezekiel, just, just sit down and just read Ezekiel as if you're reading a book. And, and don't stop, just read it. I, I did this recently, maybe about three or four weeks ago. And the anger of God to his covenant people. It, it was it was palpable. I, I was actually I didn't realize how furious God became with his own covenant people. But they thought they could do whatever they want. And they were still thinking they're righteous doing all of this. It's just what I mean, we were reading judges, every man doing what's right in his own eyes and thinking that it's fine. It's all good. No, it's not all good. And God has provisions in the covenant to deal with all of this. And so at the end of book book three, the community is despondent and they're in despair and they're confused. They're bewildered. They don't know what's going on. But a close reading of the covenant, we know exactly what's going on. So all of that now leads us into um, book four, which introduced the enthronement psalms, where we see, in fact, the answer to their despair is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is king. And God had a, whole, a way all the time of ultimately fulfilling his promise. And now on the heels of these enthronement psalms, we have a psalm of David. So I want to juxtapose Psalm 101 with Psalm 89. God will not break his covenant. He's sworn to David. And so they just have to understand how God will ultimately fulfill his covenant. Psalm 101, a psalm of David. So this is from David. And, and as we read this psalm, don't just picture David anciently. Let's read this psalm in the context of the enthronement psalms, and this is the resurrected David. This is David now ruling over Israel and Judah from Jerusalem under Jesus Christ. A psalm of David. I will sing of mercy. I will sing. The first thing he's going to sing about is the mercy of God. He's looking at it. He's back to life. 
He's back up on his feet. He's on his throne, and he's looking at the situation. And he says, I, I can't help it. I am going to sing of mercy and judgment. I, it all makes total sense now. And I can't help but praise the Lord. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Jehovah, will I sing. Then he says this. This is a king. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. This is a king. And this is the kind of leadership we are going to have in the future. We're not going to have men full of rhetoric and and, um, media running interference for them and brainwashing people to think that we're something when we're nothing. And we put on fancy suits and perfume and we just say all the right words. And meanwhile, we are as corrupt as the day is long. We're not going to have that anymore. We're going to have kings, physical kings on the earth and and spiritual kings and priests on the earth who have the character, who have been fashioned and formed to have the character of Jehovah. He said, this is the king. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come unto me? And this is, this is here you can think of David just wondering, God, come. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. And this is a great example, an inspiring example for us, brethren. Because we are called to be kings and priests. That, that, that's, he has made us kings and priests. That's what this is about. And so we can learn from this king how to be a king. To, to operate within our own house with a perfect heart. And not allow the confusion of, of Babylon into our homes. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And now this is very, very difficult for us. We, we, we need a bit of entertainment. We need a bit of recreation. But where do you get it? Well, anything today you put in front of you, they just have to weave into it all kinds of nonsense. You know, if you're watching something, you've got to have your finger on the fast-forward remote to skip through the nonsense. Because we don't want these wicked things. And, and these people are clever. These are scientists. These are social scientists. And they know how to corrupt the mind of men and how to corrupt the imagination. And something they call, um, what do they call this? Um, something programming. I forget the name of the term. But maybe somebody could type it in the chat. But it's when um, you would never think of something. You would never imagine a thing. And they put it in front of you. And then now your brain entertains that. So now when the actual thing happens, you're not so shocked. You're kind of like you're willing to accept it because of this programming. And so a lot of this wickedness that they're putting in front of people, humans would normally never imagine these things. But they put it in front of the and they acclimatize us to it. And before you know it, we're accepting wickedness, even in God's church. So David says, I, no, 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 no. As a king, I must walk in a perfect way. And I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Oh, so this is now different. These are not just atheists. These are not just pagans and heathen. These are those that were in the way of Torah, and then they turned aside. And often, these are the most wicked. There's some kind of a 
depth of depravity that they will fall to. Again, think of Karl Marx, who was uh, came through a, a lineage of rabbis. Uh, his his father turning to Christianity or uh, maybe even Catholicism, but some form of uh, uh, turning to the New Testament, uh, the apostolic writings uh, and doing that. And then Karl Marx rejecting all of that and the depth of depravity that he went to. So those that turn aside somehow, they, they, they end up being more wicked than um, those who don't turn aside. And so we hate the work. And, and, and uh, God hates it as well. He, he says to the, the Laodicean church, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I hate what you're doing. Same thing, he, he warns Thyatira. And, and, and Sardis is dead. And so the majority, five of the seven churches, he has condemnation for them. God hates it. And we can't, we can't believe, like, unless we're insane and been corrupted by Satan, we can't believe that um, we are uh, just going to accept, or, or sorry, that God is going to accept whatever we do. God has standards. And David understands this. And she says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And I see in the chat, somebody said predictive programming. That's the term I was trying to remember. Thank you for that. Predictive programming. These people, these people are scientists. We, we sit down thinking we're watching entertainment and you're seeing uh, violence and, and, and uh, depravity and sexuality. That's just unimaginable. You would never think of these things. No, no, no rational person would think of beating up a woman. And, and they put this in front of you. And then kind of normal. And then when it actually happens, you're not outraged. It's like, oh yeah, oh, oh well, that happens. This predictive programming. They, they program our mind. They open up neural networks and pathways so that our imagination says, okay, yeah, I, I've seen, I'm not shocked. Whereas if this never happened, we would be stunned and outraged at the, at the depravity. But now we have brethren accepting depravity. We have brethren defending depravity. And they just don't understand. And they don't understand the danger they are in, and they are self-satisfied. And they don't understand that the church can be vomited out of God's mouth. That means you were there, you were with God. And what we were up to was so distasteful to God that he vomited us out of their mouth, out of his mouth. And there are brethren that don't understand this. They think they can do whatever they want. And they set anything in front of their minds, and they get caught up with the imagination of the wicked. David says, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. He says, a froward heart shall depart from me. I want nothing to do with it. You turn aside, you know, the Bible tells us, mark them that cause division. And there are, there are, you know, we think sometimes somebody's in the church. Because they're in the church, we just have to be like buddy, buddy, close to them no matter what. No. Somebody can be in the church and they're causing all kinds of division and you mark them and you separate yourself. We, we pray for them. We support them. But we don't want to be buddy, buddy, buddy with those that turn aside and those that have froward speaking and imagination. We pray for them, but we don't have to be hooked up with them because we understand wheat and tares grow together. And God is the ultimate judge. But at the same time, we're looking for fruit. A froward heart shall depart from me. And so we need to separate ourselves from froward hearts. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off. You know, 
we are warped by the society we live in to think that tolerance is the highest virtue. If you're not tolerant, you're closed-minded. You've got to be tolerant. Tolerant is the highest virtue. And the people who uh, propagate this virtue, they are the most intolerant. They have great rhetoric about tolerance. And yet when they're in power, they are intolerant. But we fall for it. And we think we have to be tolerant of everything and everybody and allow everything into the church. If David was in our church, he would be cutting people off. He says, well, you, 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 you slander your neighbor privately? I don't want anything to do. You think you're, you're buddy-buddy with me because you're slandering somebody privately? David says, I don't want anything to do with that. Him will I cut off. He that has a high look and a proud heart, will, will not I suffer. So arrogance. There's no place for arrogance among God's people. This is a king, and he's speaking of his subjects. So when, he's in, when he comes back to life, and he's sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, this is the, the moral standard that he is going to rule Jerusalem with. All over the world, human beings are going to want to go to Jerusalem. And when they get there, you can understand now the kind of subjects that are going to be living in Jerusalem. And when they interact with human beings in Jerusalem, you can, you can get a sense of the high moral standard because of the high moral standard of the king. He says, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. What's the land? The promised land. He's now king over. Israel and Judah have been brought together as one stick. And David is now their king. And he says, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. So those, those that turn aside, he wants nothing to do with them. They're not going to be in the land. He's going to get rid of them. But those that are faithful, and remember there, uh, Ezekiel 37, and the, the Valley of Dry Bones, and how this whole army of Israelites, ultimately after the millennium, they'll be brought back to life. But, but those that are alive during the millennium, he's going to be ruling them. And his eyes will be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. They're going to be with David, their king. He that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. So David's going to walk in a perfect way in his home. As, and when his home, you know, when we think um, his home, we think of our homes. I'm going to walk in a perfect way within my little home here. David is going to be in a palace, a massive home with many servants. And it's just going to be a massive home. And he says, uh, he that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. So this is now the inner circle in the palace. You can't be in the palace with the king unless you also as a human being, an Israelite or Judah, a Jewish, a Jewish person in the future, you can't be in the palace, excuse me, unless you too walk in a perfect way. He that works deceit shall not dwell within my palace, within my house. He that tells lies shall not tarry in my sight. David is going to be the most intolerant king Israel has ever seen, the world has ever seen. Tolerance is not a great virtue. Yes, you know, we have to be forgiving and those, all of us are flawed and we're working together, we're edifying each other and we're going to be tolerant in that way. But not in the way of social justice where we get warped with our ideas and we put up with garbage. So, so it's like um, racism. That, that's like, that's the unforgivable sin. But people are committing pedophilia and incest and rape and robbery, and all kinds of theft and corruption. And uh, we don't care. It's okay. 
But racism, oh, we don't tolerate them. There's no tolerance for racism because we're being manipulated. We're being, we're, 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 we're being divided by the powers that be. So great. All those proponents of Black Lives Matter, you got what you wanted. All of that was just to remove the president. It's done. He's gone. He's gone. You got what you wanted. Now let's see how much Black Lives Matter. And let's see who has played for a fool. Who played the idiot? And who were all those standing up and supporting Black Lives Matter? You got what you wanted. Let's now watch over the next four years how much Black Lives Matter. January 20th, 2021. All those who racism was the, high, were the highest sin and everything else was fine. And we just had to remove the previous administration because he was such a racist. And now we have beauty and glamour and, and, and uh, just wonderful integrity in the administration now. Let's see. Let's see how much Black Lives Matter. This billion-dollar organization, what have they done for black people? And it really hurts my heart to see that the people of God with black skin have fallen for such a fiasco. Incredible. He that works deceit shall not dwell within my house, and he that tells lies shall not tarry in my sight. This is going to be amazing, and we're going to be a part of this, brethren. So we just, we just, we just need to repent. We can't be arrogant. We just need to say, yeah, I'm wrong. You got me. I'm glad you got me. I'm glad you pointed this out to me, because I was going down the path of the wicked. And now I see the future, and I want to be a part of this. And so I'm not going to be a part of deception. And I'm not going to be a part of lies. So if David is talking here about human beings, what kind of standard will Jesus Christ want with us as spirit beings serving in his house? Let's go to Micah and see what the prophet says about this situation that David, that David is looking at, that he, he wants to separate the wicked from the righteous. Micah, we'll pick it up from chapter 6, verse 11. Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? These people are corrupt. These people are corrupt. And do you want me to say that they're wonderful? Do you want me to include them with, with everybody else and say it's all good? No, I see their corruption. And so I'm going to declare them as corrupt. Shall I count them pure with wicked balance, with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence. We have to realize these people who serve in government and basically do nothing of note, push paper around and shake hands, and they become multi-multi-millionaires. And they've created nothing. They've done no innovation. They, they've done nothing except shake hands and tell lies. And they have become multi-multi-millionaires. And they are full of violence. They have great rhetoric. It sounds beautiful. It's easy to fall for it. But once they're in power, watch out. The rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. And we have our young people falling for this because the rhetoric is so good. And, and they've never been around the block. They're young. They're still wet behind the ears, but they think they know, and they're pumped up to feel like they know. And they fall for this deceit. And so when all of this happens now and the people are falling for this deceit, 
What does the Prophet say? The Prophet says, Woe is me, for I am as, um, I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. So uh, he's in a situation now where it's like there's nothing here. There's no righteousness. I, I had hoped that I could interact with righteous people. It's all gone. It's like they've come through. They've, they've, they've done the harvest and there's just nothing left. And I had hoped to have some refreshment. There's no righteousness left. The good man is perished out of the earth. And Jesus Christ asks us the question. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? And Micah answers, the good man is perished out of the earth. We have to be so careful, brethren. We have to be so careful that we're not falling for deception. The good man is perished out of the earth. And so when we have people who are so caught up with human beings, one way or the other. So, so now you have uh, Christians who, because their man... I'm talking, sorry, I'm talking about America, although what happens in America affects the whole world, especially the, the Christian world, the, the free world. But now we have Christians. I, I have a colleague in business who is a Christian and really wanted Donald Trump to get in power again and was really hopeful and right up to the last minute thought for sure he's going to stay in power. And, and now he sees, no, he's gone. He is so despondent. I had to remind him, Jesus Christ is in charge. We win in the end. And he wrote back and he said, you know, I, I, I don't see the big picture. So I'm just communicating with him, helping him, and hopefully he'll come to see the big picture. But brethren, we should see the big picture. And one, one man or the other, we don't care. Except to say, the scripture says, pray for the king. So that we might lead lives where we can lead or go about our business quietly and, and do the work of God. But now, because the administration has changed, brethren, our work will change. So we had hoped for more years of freedom. That's going to go. But the word of God can never be chained. So it just means that the nature of our work changes. We accept it. But we're not putting our trust in men. We put our trust in Christ. And we just want to understand what is the will of God. And we would hope the will of God would go one way so that we can do a certain kind of work. But it looks like it's going to go another way. And that might mean martyrdom. We, we need to understand how much Marxists despise. I can't even find the word. We have to understand how much Marxists despise Jesus Christ. And so if we say we stand for Jesus Christ, we must understand what that means and what the future holds for us. But it's okay. Because if we're going to hold true to Christ, then the good man is perished out of the earth. And the people who continue to live in the earth are going to be those who are willing to be deceptive, those who are willing to tell lies, those who are willing to deny Jesus Christ. So this is the future now. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. And this is uh, George Orwell said, if you want to have a, a picture of the future, if you want a vision of the future, he says, picture a boot stomping on the human face forever. <laughs> when, when he understood fully what Marxism is and where it's going and how it's going to take over the globe, he said, you know what? Here's the future. Picture a boot stomping on a human face forever. He understood just how much, how satanic Marxism is. 
and how much it hates Jesus, Jesus Christ and men created in the image of God. And as the Marxists now have free reign, there's now no obstacle. There's no obstacle to them globally. Picture a boot stomping on a human face forever. And let's, for a bit of color, pardon the pun, let's picture a black face. Black lives matter. Picture a boot stomping on a black face forever. That's the future. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. So there's this selfishness that has just taken over the planet. And the whole selfness, the selfless nature of Christ, it's gone. Those people are are hunted down. Why do they do this? That they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asks and the judge asks for a reward. This is the corruption. The the leaders are are being bribed and they're encouraging it. And they're doing deals with, with the globalists. And their, their bank accounts are being enriched. The leaders ask, and even the judges are corrupted. And the great man, he utters his mischievous desire. So they wrap it up. It's like from the top to the bottom, from the presidency down to the, you know, school, the school board. Every aspect the Marxists have put their people in place. And they're all corrupt. The best of them is as a brier, a thorn. They all, they're, they all, they're all sharp, and they cut and they hurt. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. Picture what David is saying of kind of land, the kind of people that are going to occupy the land when he's in power. And this is what precedes that. This is, this is the earth that Jesus Christ is going to be returning to before installing David as king over Israel. The best of them is as a brier. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your visitation comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Did they think, I mean, does it make sense to them that they can do this indefinitely? How long do they think they can play this game for? It's going to come to an end and it's going to be their turn to be in confusion. The prophet says that this, this time is so devastating. And this is the time ahead of us, brethren. That this is, this is what Christ quoted. In Matthew 10, trust you not in a friend and put you not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of your mouth from her that lies in your bosom. So, brethren, this this is the human condition. And, you know, I'm sorry for anybody who runs out and gets married and really hasn't tested the character of the woman he marries or, or the woman who hasn't tested the character of the man she marries and that the marriage is not um, guided by the Holy Spirit, that, that God is not the one who has put you together. But you've rushed on ahead and said, no, I must have this person. Okay. I certainly hope that the, that, that decision was Holy Spirit guided. Because the crisis that is ahead, the crisis we're heading into, it's going to generate a level of selfishness that you would not believe. And here you have a married couple. And the man cannot trust the very woman that he's intimate with. And, and we can say vice versa. The, the Holy Spirit-filled woman cannot know for sure if she can trust the man that she's intimate with. We can only trust the Holy Spirit. And that's why when we choose a spouse, thank God he chooses for us. And he gives us uh, spouses that are truly driven by the Holy Spirit and have character. Because that's we, we can trust Jesus Christ in our spouse. 
So I'm sorry for those who carnally rush ahead and just marry and don't consider the crisis ahead. Even in the family, for the son dishonors the father. This is like try to imagine what kind of crisis where people are so terrified that they all turn on one another. And again, you even see this now south of the border for us with the, uh, the Republican Party and how they just betray one another because there's something going on. There's some level of threat that they're facing, that they will do anything to protect themselves and how they've been compromised. The son dishonors the father. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men, enemy, are the men of his own house. David, when he is resurrected and he establishes his household, he will never have enemies in his household. Because the moment he spots any kind of corruption, you're out. And that's the future. That's the future after Christ returns. This is the immediate future. Where if you have not developed true relationships and built godly character in your children, and developed a Holy Spirit trust between you and your spouse, then this is the future. Because what, what I mean, this is perfect. The, the, the Marxist, their agenda is to destroy the family. And so now globally, they basically run almost every country in the world, and their agenda is to destroy the family. And here we see it. He says, therefore, I will look unto Jehovah. I will wait for the God of my salvation. So he realizes, okay, this is the situation. I've got to face reality. This is, this is the situation. But I, I'm not going to give up. And I know some of us are, are suffering from loneliness. Some of us feel like, you know, we're the only one that, that's standing for righteousness. Some of you might be, you don't have a congregation. Or maybe you're in the congregation, but you see all kinds of um, corruption. And you're trying to speak out against it. And you're isolated. You're alienated. Well, Michael was alienated. And he says, okay, this is, I accept my situation. Therefore, I will look unto Jehovah. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. Okay, yeah, you got the upper hand. Don't rejoice against me. See the whole picture. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When you see me fall, don't rejoice. That's short-lived. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, Jehovah shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. So again, he, he real, I'm part of the covenant community, and God is angry with the community. And I will, I'll, I'll tolerate this, because I understand the big picture. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. And this is the understanding. Okay, I've sinned. This is what's happening. The community has sinned. This is what's happening. But God is a God of mercy. And David says he will sing. David sinned. And yet he's going to rise and see the glory that God has planned for him. And he's going to sing of God's mercy. So he will plead my cause and execute judgment for me. This is true justice. He will bring me forth to the light. And I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is my enemy shall see it. You think of Job. When his wife says, curse God and die. No, no, Job's going to get through this. Okay, he has to, he has to go, it's a process he's going through, but he'll get through it. And here, uh, Micah's saying, even this woman I'm intimate with has turned against me and, and betrayed me. 
again, I'm sorry if you are not married in a Holy Spirit union. Because Jesus Christ in our spouse is who we can trust. Then she that is my enemy shall see it. And shame shall cover her which said unto me, where is the Lord your God? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this woman he's intimate with and she's basically spitting in his face. Where is the Lord your God? My eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. This is Imagine the level of betrayal for Micah to speak like this. But Jesus Christ warned us, this is what lies ahead. This is, what we're, this is the future we're facing. And so we need to be preparing ourselves, brethren. We need to be preparing our families. We need to understand what this means when the globalists have no opposition. They've captured the prize, the United States of America. So this, this, was, this was the big obstacle for them. And now there's no obstacle. What does this mean for Christians around the world? What is the nature of our work now? One administration or the other, you know, we, we, we carry on. We carry on. Brethren, prepare yourself. Brethren, prepare your family. This is no joke. Pe- people think this is a game. Let's show up for services. It's Sabbath. You know, we just have this habit. We hang around for a couple of hours. We have a cup of coffee, and then we go home. N- now it gets real. We need to be preparing ourselves. This is real, brethren. So this crisis is just around the corner. The the proverb says, the prudent man foresees the evil and prepares himself. Back to Psalm 101. David says, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. So all that wickedness that Micah sees that precedes the return of Jesus Christ. When David comes into power, he says, I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of Jehovah. Jerusalem, the city of God, he will not have any evildoers in it. So that all over the world, people can come to Jerusalem and see true, the true righteousness, human beings made in the image of God, behaving like human beings made in the image of God. And this is what David will do. Now, this is the king. This is a psalm of the king. And in Proverbs 20, verse 8, he says, A king that sits in the throne of judgment scatters away all evil with his eyes. A righteous king does not tolerate evil. When you have corrupt leaders who encourage evil, that is what you get. So when you have corrupt leaders who are compromised, then they just surround themselves with other people who are compromised and corrupt. And evil flourishes. And, and, and Jesus Christ tells us that this is the future, that iniquity shall abound, so much so that even the covenant community will get caught up in it. And even the covenant community will lose their agape. And even spouses and families will turn on each other because the agape will grow cold. <laughs> we need to be preparing ourselves, brethren. This is real. And because we don't have kings that do not tolerate evil, we get Matthew 24, verse 12. In Ecclesiastes 8.11, he says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, we tolerate it. It's okay. You know, we, we let them go. We, they, they're in front of these Marxist judges, and the Marxist judges say, Oh, I understand, and lets them go free. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, 
Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And this is where we're heading. We're going to live in a world where human beings, because of the imagination of their heart and the predictive programming and the influence of those around them, they're they're just totally committed to doing evil. And brethren, that is going to filter into the church. So let's clean up ourselves. Let's clean up our congregations. Let's clean up our families. Let's clean up our congregations. And let's not go along with the corruption. Let's not go along with the compromises. Let's just keep pointing people back to the Torah. Now, no, I don't agree with this judgment. Uh, explain to me how it lines up with Torah. You know, I'm reading the scriptures, and the scriptures say this. So why are we doing that? And, and you, we might be that sort of thorn, that sort of um, obstacle. That, oh, Adrian's always the one. He's always talking about Torah. Yeah, I'm always talking about Torah. That, that's what we need is a return to Torah. Because Torah enables us to have agape. So he says, because the sentence against an evil work is, is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That's the world we live in, but it's not the future world. In Micah 4 and verse 1, he said, in Malachi, sorry, 4 verse 1, he says, the day is coming, behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. This is the return of Jesus Christ. And somehow Christians have in mind that the return of Jesus Christ is just going to be such a nice time. Oh, look, Jesus is coming. Oh, oh, there's the Lord. He's coming. Oh, great. It's wonderful. Time for me to have my spirit body. And um, it's time just for everything to be nice. Jesus is here. Big hug for everybody. It's time for everything to be nice. Oh, it's so nice now. Jesus is back. It's nice. I don't know what kind of Christianity this is. But it's not based on the Bible. This is the return of Jesus Christ. Behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. I, you know, those of us who maybe work with, with uh, heat or ovens, furnaces, and you get close. Remember when they wanted to throw uh, Daniel in the in the furnace? Uh, you know, it's so hot it can kill you. That that's what's coming. And all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of Hosts. That it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So, you know, Brother and I, Pastor Murray and I and the Deacon Jan as we're preaching from, from uh, Burlington here, we, we may seem, I don't know, maybe not harsh, but very, um, uh, you know, sticklers for the Torah. <laughs> but this is what we see. This is why. We don't want any of our brethren to be vomited out of God's mouth. We don't want any of our brethren to fail. Is it wrong for us to to read the scriptures and say, brethren, this is what's coming. We, We can't take God for granted. But unto you that fear my name, it's all about his name. He's the Holy One of Israel, Jehovah. And Christ says to us that because of his name, we'll be hated by all nations. But we must be faithful to his name. And to you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Yeah, we're going to be pretty broken up. We're going to go through some pretty traumatic times. But he's going to come and reward us. We're going to say, this is our Lord. We waited for him. Here he is. With healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. You're going to be so well nourished and looked after and joyful. And you shall tread down the wicked. 
for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this. This is, this is Jesus Christ. This is who we look for. This, we are looking forward to his appearance, but we understand what it is. We understand what it is. And it is going to be sad when we know brethren who've turned aside and, and just didn't understand and were deceived. And we did everything we could to call them back, but they would not. And now he says, they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember you the Torah. Don't forget the Torah. Don't throw away the Torah. Don't listen to people who say the Torah doesn't matter. Oh, Torah, stop talking about the Torah. Remember you the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. So that was Psalm 101. What I want to do now is just read uh, Psalm 102. I won't have any references except for one where it's quoted in in the uh, book of Hebrews. Uh, So let's just read this. This is not an enthronement psalm. But let's read it in the context of the enthronement psalms. That here somebody is being afflicted and this, this psalmist is crying out because of their affliction. So again, the future, Jesus Christ tells us, you shall be sorrowful. The world will be full of joy, but you shall sorrow. But your sorrow shall be turned to joy. And so this uh, psalmist crying out in their affliction of the time ahead, let's put it in in the time ahead, ahead of us now, um, it doesn't end there. Micah said, don't rejoice when you see me fall, because I shall arise. And that's what we see here with this psalmist. A prayer of the afflicted, Psalm 102, when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before Jehovah. So we can be overwhelmed, brethren. We're not um, stoic. We're not um, indifferent. We, we have feelings. We have emotions. We have hopes and dreams. And when these things are dashed, when they crash the economy, people think, oh, who cares if the economy crashes? They don't understand. They don't understand what happens to people when they can't find food. So we have difficult times ahead. A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before Jehovah. So he has hope. Hear my prayer, O Jehovah, and let my cry come unto you. Hide not your face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline your ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. So some of us are already in trouble. This, this past year has put some people out of business. They're, uh, they're unemployed. They're already in trouble. Others of us may be doing okay right now. But again, when they crash the economy, everybody's going to suffer except the elite, except the very elite. And I don't think anybody in the church today is in the category of the very elite. They just want to enrich themselves and nobody else. This is, this is, uh, uh, we have to understand Marxism. We, we really, we really do. And then they're going to just open up the borders now and we're going to see this, uh, anyway, we, we, we should understand the future. But this is the psalmist crying out in such a situation. Please don't hide your face from me in the day when I'm in trouble. Incline your ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke. And my bones are burned as a hearth. My heart is smitten and withered like grass. 
so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. This is despair. This is at the bottom of the pit of misery. And yet, by, by seeing this and understanding this, if we have to go through, you know, the scripture says, all those who are called by Christ's name shall suffer persecution. So all of us who desire to live godly lives shall suffer persecution. This is what the scripture says. But if we can read others who have suffered affliction and, and despondency and how they actually came through it, then as we go through it, we know that there's hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And we can, we can get through it prayerfully. My heart is smitten and withered like grass. So that I forget to eat my bread. I'm just, I, I, I should eat. I'm going to die if I don't eat. But I'm so despondent. I, I, can't, I don't even think about food. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. So again, just completely alone, completely alienated. I watch, and as I'm a sparrow alone upon the housetop. So there's just nobody with me, and this is something they love to do is separate us. That's what we're going through right now. We can't even come together. They love to separate us. And then we love to separate us too. So they love to separate us, and then we love to separate us. Instead of understanding how important our unity is. I watch, I'm as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. My enemies reproach me all the day. And Micah said, don't laugh when, I'm fall, when I fall, because I shall arise. My enemies reproach me all the day. And they that are mad against me are sworn against me. They just absolutely despise me. Uh, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. This is, this is depression. This is very, very, very deep depression. This, this, it feels hopeless, but we know it's not. He's crying out to God. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me down. So there's something happening here where he realizes, okay, I'm part of the covenant community. We, were, we broke the covenant. This is what's happened. My days are like a shadow that declines. So you can see the shadow just declining. And he's just like, That's, uh, my, my life is running out here. And I am like, and I am withered like grass. And, you know, if the sun, sometimes you have some summers where the sun is just relentless and there's no rain. And, and you just see the grass just die. And this is, this is his situation. But you, O Yehovah, shall endure forever and your remembrance unto all generations. And this is the way we have to think that we can't be so self-centered that it's all about us. We have to be willing to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about Yehovah and his plan and his agenda and, and what he wants to do for Israel. This is what it's about. And so I, I am part of that agenda and I'm praying towards that agenda. And so even though he's in this depth of despair and depression, he hasn't lost his vision. And he says, you shall arise and have mercy upon Zion, upon Zion. For the time to favor her, yes, the set time is come. This is amazing. 
And this is, this is our ticket out of any affliction, out of any depression, is to get our mind off ourselves. Yes, we are suffering. Yes, we are in affliction. But there's a bigger picture. And we, of all people on the planet, we understand this bigger picture. And we understand that the word of God cannot fail. It is impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible for a word to leave God's mouth and fail. And so we understand his counsel. We understand his plan. We understand what he's doing. And we understand it cannot fail. And so we take our minds off ourselves and we see the big picture. And we know, okay, God shall arise. You shall arise and have mercy upon Zion. For the time to favor her, yeah, the set time is common. We understand this, so we can speak comfortably to Jerusalem. We can tell Jerusalem, look, your warfare has ended. This, this is not forever. This, look forward. Get through this. Be faithful to God because your God reigns and you shall inherit the land. And all over the world, people are going to come to you to learn the law of God. For your servants take pleasure in her stones, the stones of Jerusalem. And favor the dust thereof. It's going to be such a special city that everyone just can't believe this this is the city of God. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord. And again, this is it. Yehovah, the Holy One of Israel. This is going to be taught all over the world. And Matthew, the, the, the prophecy Christ gave us in Matthew 24, tells us that we shall be hated and we shall dis, be despised by all nations. Because we are preaching a gospel that has everything to do with the name of the Lord. Everything to do with the Holy One of Israel, Yehovah, and what his plan is. And who Jerusalem and the promised land belongs to rightfully. And we're preaching this, and it's good news. Not for everybody. It's bad news for some, but it's good news for Israel and Judah. And this is what we're preaching. And they hate us for it, and they have the upper hand. But the psalmist says, having the big picture in mind, the heathen shall fear the name of Jehovah and all the kings of the earth, your glory. Zechariah 14, that all the kings of the earth are going to come and fear the glory of God and worship God in Jerusalem. And if they don't, upon them shall be no rain. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Brethren, This is it. As we go through affliction, as we are persecuted, as we deal with loneliness and depression, here is somebody who's suffering affliction. And in the affliction, he is able to continue because of this vision that the Lord will build up Zion and he shall appear in his glory. This, this is what he sees. The word of God cannot fail. He is going to return. He is going to build up Zion. And he's going to appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute. This is uh, Isaiah 61. That he will regard the prayer of the destitute. And not despise their prayer. He understands. I'm just going to hold on. God will, God will be good and do good to Israel. And he will remember the poor and needy who are faithful. This shall be written for the generation to come. 
So, so he lived thousands of years ago, and he knows that this psalm that he's writing is going to be for another generation to come. And here we are. Here we are facing globalists and their wicked agenda and their anti-human agenda and their anti-christic agenda. Here we are. And we're about to go through, I think, to coin the uh, phrase of the new administration, a dark winter. We're about to go through a dark winter as they marshal all the resources they have to, to, to crush the virus. So we're going we're gonna to crush, we're gonna, we're gonna crush the virus. We're going to just plunge the, 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 the economy into debt and, and, and do everything we can to, to, to crush the virus because that's the most important thing. And if people don't eat and if people, if people have nothing, as long as we crush this virus, somehow, some way. <laughs> and we're going to get through this, brethren, because we have the word of God. It was written thousands of years ago for us upon whom the ends of the world have come. This shall be written for the generation to come, that the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. So here we are. Here we are. The, the, it's like a relay race. And the saints have passed the baton to us. And now this is our leg of the race. And as long as we run our leg of the race properly and with all our might, and then we pass, we pass it on to the next generation, and they too will praise Jehovah. This shall be written for the generation to come. So here it is preserved for us. And the people which shall be created, and here we are, shall praise Jehovah. For he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary. So no matter how high men think he is, they think they are, God looks down upon them. You know, when they were in uh, uh, following Nimrod and building up this tower of Babel, that as high as that tower was, God said, Let's go down to see what these people are doing. That's how high God is. So he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From the heaven, from heaven, did Jehovah behold the earth. To hear the groaning of the prisoner. Remember Isaiah 61. He's coming to set the captives free. To hear the groaning of the prisoner. And so we're free right now. For how long? Well, kind of we're not free. We're sort of under house arrest, aren't we? But as Laws change. And as declaring the name of the Lord becomes illegal, some of us are going to be in prison. But he's going to hear the groaning of the prisoner to loose those that are appointed to death. Why would we be appointed to death? What, what, why is this here? What kind of hatred would, would those in power have that people who just want to declare Christ's name be appointed to death? To declare the name of the Lord in Zion. So this and his praise in Jerusalem. Whatever this gospel is in Matthew 24, that Jesus Christ says will be preached throughout the whole earth. But he also says that you will be hated by all nations because of my name. This controversy over the name of God is going to come into sharp focus. It's about to come into sharp focus. And Christ says, if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. So we don't want to be among the deniers who, who are distracted. 
We want to just stiffen our backbone here, strengthen our spine, and speak truth. Speak truth. And the truth is, Yehovah is king over all the earth. He will build up Zion, and he will rule the whole earth from Jerusalem. And all over the earth, people will be begging to hold on to the the hem of a Jew, so that that Jew can lead them to Jerusalem. That's the future. And you, you might not like it. It might, it might send you as a ruler of this world into a satanic frenzy. I, I, can't, that's, I, I can't help that. You have to get your emotions under control. I'm just giving you the word of God. To declare that, so he's going to hear the groaning of the prisoner from, from his high throne in heaven. He's going to hear, remember when um, Israel cried out in, in Egypt, and he heard their groaning, and he came down and visited them. Here in this modern Egypt, in this modern Babylon, when the people of God are suffering, he's going to hear the groaning of the prisoner to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of Jehovah in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. So this is what the people will do when they're released. As David said, I will sing of mercy. When the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Listen to this. This is the future. The people will be gathered together. He's going to gather his people from the four corners of the earth. And the kingdoms, everybody's going to be on the same page. The, the veil will be lifted, the deception, the Satan will be bound, the deception will be gone, and all kingdoms all over the world will serve Jehovah. He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. So he's, he's on the verge of dying. Think of the suffering of Job. You know, he's, he's at the end of his rope. He hasn't lost his vision of what's going on. But he's saying, like, I, I can't even eat. I'm wasting away. I said, oh, my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. So it sounds like he's middle-aged, you know, probably younger than me. Maybe he's uh, in his early, late 40s, early 50s. He's in the midst of his days. So I'm in the midst of my days. Take me not away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. God, you're eternal. I'm just in the midst of my days here. I have, please don't, don't allow me to perish like this. Of old have you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They shall perish, but you shall endure. Yet all of them shall wax old like a garment. So we know that the earth is going to be burned up. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. So yeah, they shall perish. But you shall endure. Yet all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shall you change them. And they shall be changed. Yes, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He can see this. But you are the same. And your years have no end. So this is the part now that I wanted us to go to Hebrews. Just as we wrap up the psalm here. Um, Hebrews 1 and verse 10. Believe this is the Apostle Paul quoting the psalmist. He says, And you, Lord, in the beginning have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They shall perish, but you remain, and they shall all and they all shall wax old, as does a garment. And as a vesture shall you fold them up, and they shall be changed. So again, he sees this. There's going to be a new heaven. And a new earth, they shall be changed. But you are the same, 
and your years shall not fail. So that comes directly out of the mouth of the psalmist who is in deep depression, in deep affliction, but didn't lose his vision of what God is doing and had such a great vision of what God is doing that here we have the apostle encouraging the Hebrews who are on the verge of giving everything up and he's quoting from somebody who is in deep depression who had a grand vision of what God was doing. So brethren, whatever you're going through, whatever suffering you have, you can, you can get through it because God will empower you to get through it. He has not forgotten you. As high as he is, he hears your prayers. And so let's finish the psalm now. And I just think that's amazing that this psalmist was in such deep depression and yet was able to articulate something that here we are thousands of years later benefiting from the vision that he had. And here we have the Apostle Paul quoting him and millions upon millions and tens of millions of people have benefited from the Apostle Paul's teaching who in turn learned from this psalmist who was in depression. Let's finish with Psalm 102 and verse 28. He says, The children of your servant of your servants shall continue and their seed shall be established before you. So the psalmist really had a very, very solid understanding, even though he was in this terrible state of affliction and despondency and despair. He still had a very strong understanding of what God was doing, how he was going to be faithful to his word and that is what sustained him. And even to the point where he understood, yeah, the people of God will be established and their seed shall be established. So brethren, let's stay in the word of God. The world around us is going to be changing very, very rapidly. 2020 was a crazy, unprecedented year. It was just an opening act. Let's get ready for 2021, 2022 and beyond. Uh, The world is going to change very, very quickly on us. But as the psalmist said, God is the same. God is the same. And his word is the same. His word is established. Jesus Christ is the solid rock upon which we stand, upon which our faith is built. So no matter what happens, we are good. Praise God. Jesus Christ is Lord.